0: We want the cup. We want the cup. We want the cup. We want the cup. Welcome to Brotherly Pod. It is Monday, March 1st, 2021. It is March again, Anthony. What is going on? I
1: don't know. It's uh, crazy to think that we're just about a year into this COVID world, but uh, last 12 months have been a blur, that's for sure. Yeah, that's undoubtedly true. But uh, we'll talk Flyers in a little bit. But first, we're going to talk...
0: Uh, with our friend from the Boston Bruins. Ocean Zawa is joining us from The Athletic. How
2: are you doing, Fluto? Hi, Dan. Hi, Anthony. Good.
0: The Bruins started the season 12-5-2, currently sitting second in the East behind the Washington Capitals. You know, all their injury concerns aside this year, were they projected to do this good out of the gate?
2: I would say it's it's kind of reflective of what they thought they would be, Dan, just because they knew – First of all, the goaltending would be fine with, with Rask and Halak. They knew their top line would be terrific. Uh, the, the question, of course, was how much could their left side of the defense, very young, very inexperienced, uh, be mitigated by the right side, which is one of their strengths. Charlie McAvoy, Brandon Carlo, Kevin Miller. That was, it was a question mark, and he's injured now, but they, they had a good feeling about how he would be. So you put that all together, I think there was they were optimistic, but there was still a little bit of hesitation just because. You, uh, Bruce Cassidy says regularly, you just don't know until you see it. And what they saw in terms of Jeremy Lozon and Jakob Zaborl, for the most part, has been been good. And overall, there's been some hiccups. They had two really, really tough defensive games against the Rangers and Islanders. And there was a little bit of slippage before that too. But overall, they defend like crazy. And it hasn't been just about the goaltending. So I think they've been satisfied overall with how they defend. Their issue is going to be five-on-five scoring. It's It's been an issue for a while. And I think that is going to be their concern for the rest of the season. But they feel good about the way they defend. And in this division, if they can make it tough, for opponents to score on them uh, at five-on-five and, five and on on their penalty kill, they'll be in good shape. They can they can hang with anybody. So so in general, uh, I think they're they're okay and uh, at expectation for how how they thought this year would would go.
1: As you just pointed out, they replaced the departures of Chara and Krug with interior players like Lozon and Zaboro uh, and now you have Vacek stepping in because those two are out along with Matt Greslick. But was that entirely by design or did Don Sweeney kind of swing and miss with some free agents?
2: No, this was by design. Uh, there was there was that the initial tire kicking with Ekman Larson with Arizona but I don't don't know what the parameters of the conversations were like, but uh, clearly they they couldn't come to an agreement. That would have been a big ticket in terms of of assuming a lot of cost. I don't know what the return would have been in terms of what Arizona would have wanted, but that was a conversation. So you you move on from that, and uh, I think they they were okay with replacing Krug and Chara with, on and Zaboro, different players, different experience, different elements. But I think they had enough in terms of surrounding infrastructure to feel, uh, I don't know if comfortable, but at, at least confident going in that, that it wouldn't get, it, it, it wouldn't blow up in their faces. So, yeah, uh, who knows what it would have been like had that ekman Larson deal gone through. Um because they were, I'm assuming Arizona would have had to eat some of of that dough, otherwise it wouldn't have worked out. Um, so who knows where the that would have cut corners in terms of where the Bruins would have been compromised elsewhere on the roster. But I think this was, in general, what they had envisioned for this year.
0: How have they been surviving without Shara? Obviously not his best anymore. We'll be 44 in a couple of weeks, you know, but obviously he brought a lot more to that team than his play on the ice.
2: Just a different style of play defensively that oh, absolutely they miss him in the room, the the presence, of course, on the ice in, in pockets on the on the kill and in certain five on five situations, of course, they missed that. And he's been he's been doing well in Washington, given the role uh, in terms of stick positioning, uh, physicality in front. But I think overall, they just wanted to play a little bit faster. And, uh, and there, there's been a few adjustments down low. Both defensemen are encouraged to go. Say, let's say there's a puck in the corner. Both guys have the green light to close that off, and even the center can get in there now. So they want to outnumber the puck in the corners, down low. And does that necessarily play to Zdeno's strengths? Probably not. He's he's best in front at the at the left circle, um, being somewhat stationary in terms of of being that, that muscular presence. Um, is is he is he best fit? In terms of chasing pucks, chasing people, and then um, they they have the green light too. The G's do in terms of okay, if, if the center is there and they can make a reverse, then it's it's green light in terms of, of joining the rush as a as a secondary wave. And that's not necessarily the strengths either. So overall, th- this there's there has been an emphasis on mobility, on on quick decisions, on puck movement um, and for the most part they've they've handled that well so it's it's been an organizational adjustment in that way to to play faster to process faster so the the personnel in that way is 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 different i'm not going to say it's better it's just different and and i'm sure that there are times and there have been times that they they could have used a Dano on the ice and in the room and and maybe that will be the case going forward too uh, they're they're still uh, i think they'll be in the hunt for for some kind of experienced left shot defenseman before the deadline so it's it's a work in progress but i think they they are they're okay with with adjusting the 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 element that look on their on their blue line
1: You know, during the summer, Don Sweeney stayed relatively quiet, but he brought in one guy from Nashville, Craig Smith, Craig Smith on a three year deal worth nine point three million dollars. And he has seemed to just hit the ground running with the Boston Bruins. What has he meant to this team and how good has that line been alongside Charlie Coyle and Nick Ritchie?
2: As expected, as advertised, pretty good fit so far. Yes, uh, Craig is He is no stranger to shooting and that high volume approach has worked for him so far. Uh, I think he he could probably use some more goals in terms of production and and maybe they'll come just because of how often he shoots and he plays with pace, which is good. It's it's been a good fit with Charlie Coyle. Now with with injuries to David Krejci and Jake DeBrusk has been out for a little bit and he hasn't been on his game. Andre Kasha has been out since game two. So that's, they've they've had to play Craig up in the lineup, perhaps a little bit more than expected. And he can handle that, but I, I think it's it's he's optimized as your number three right wing. And it really hasn't been that case. So if they can ever get to that point where he's playing against third pairings and they can get, say, Coyle and Smith and, and Richie, or they use Trent Frederick there too. Uh, so who knows how that line will be. But yes, optimally, it's it's Bergeron, Craigie, coil in the middle and and Smith with coil on that third line but yeah so far it's been it's been good skating there the, the shot has been there uh, and he's been on their second power play which has been just limited in terms of opportunity just because they they ride that first unit so heavily so but overall uh, good fit as advertised
0: at face value, the goaltending doesn't seem to be that great from a stats perspective. Rask, two seventy-one goals against, uh, eight ninety-six save percentage. Lock, not much better, two forty-two goals against, nine hundred three save percentage. Are they that lackluster, or is this just a case of their numbers not showing how good they've been?
2: Um, probably somewhere in between. I don't think we've seen Tuca at Vezina level like he was last year. Um, he's been he's been good in in little segments, but overall, is he has he been that kind of ace goalie that we've seen last year, no, no. Uh, and Yarrow, he's been. Uh, you have to build in these last two games. He was he was really lit up uh, against the Islanders. So that's gonna that's gonna bring those numbers way down. So, but in terms of what they've asked of, of Halak to be that number two, that or one B or how, however you want to classify him, he's been he's been fine. So, uh, I think overall, yes, both goalies have more to give. and Especially Tuca in terms of, because we've seen the ceiling and it's really high. Second best goalie last year in the league. So, and we've seen it in bursts, but consistently, no. Um, So, uh, I don't think they're worried. I don't think they're losing sleep over, over Rask or Halak. But they know there's more to give. And that that comes in line with the, the turbulence that they expected with this defense, just given how it's it's this significant makeover, and especially the last couple of games where they're going eight nine on their organizational depth chart in terms of guys having to step in and even claiming Jared Tarnaudy off waivers. So who knows where he'll fit in if he, if he even plays? So there there's just. A significant makeover and turnover on on the defense, and, and perhaps that's reflecting in the goalie's play. But yep, there's more to give there, um, but uh, not 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 front burner worried about uh, the, the goaltending at this point.
1: I want to talk about about Jake Bibrask because from my standpoint, it seems like he's either a bona fide top six winger or really just floating off in obscurity. Is consistency the biggest problem in his game?
2: Oh, for sure. For sure. It's just, you see, he was out for, I think,
1: five or six games, and then he comes
2: back, and it was 14 attempts, and, and, and just, like, terrific, flying, engaged, uh, strong on the puck, going to the net, and then it just goes quiet for the next couple of games. So is that, okay, he's still 24, and this is the first year of his second deal. Okay, he hasn't had Krejci, his, his, his usual center. Okay, He's, and they've had to play my right wing, his offside. So, okay, you, you build in all these factors, and you can understand why. And maybe the player himself is thinking, geez, well, I, I haven't really been put in the best optimal position to succeed, but the, some of that falls on Jake, too, that you have to be more consistent, and more hard, more committed, and more... Uh, around the puck um, so yeah it's been inconsistent for sure for sure especially because we've seen not just that game where he first comes back but even when he was a couple years ago you see um, and in the playoffs he's he's a big game performer so the, the ceiling remains high but I think there's probably some internal frustration um, whether it's uh, the coach saying, okay we we push this guy pretty hard and he just doesn't respond to the ceiling that he has. And then the organization saying, "Okay, well, he's—we've invested in him. His second contract, and it hasn't—for for so far, it hasn't really been up to standards. So, absolutely, more to give. And there's some some factors there that he hasn't played to his potential. But yeah, it's it's mostly on Jake to be more consistent." For sure.
0: What does Charlie McAvoy bring to the table as a whole? From an outside perspective, you know, he, he seems like a guy that's kind of a top defenseman, but kind of quiet on a national level. I mean, is he just the flat-out Bruins number one at this point?
2: No question. Hands down. MVP so far. Can do it everything. Um, he's a shutdown guy, at five five-on-five. Um, second wave on PK. He's gotten, because of Grizzik's injury, uh, they tried Krejci up up at the point on the first power play, going with five forwards, but he's been hurt, and it, it wasn't going that well. So Charlie's been their point man on on the first power play. He's been great um, overall. He's been there. Is again uh, there was there was some some uh, issues of of trying to do too much uh, against the Rangers, and the, the game they got blown out. But he makes everything look easy, whether it's checking a guy down low, whether it's pivoting and and keeping pace, keeping a tight gap, uh, joining the rush, making that first pass. He's he's outstanding and does everything hard, does everything, uh, for the most part, consistently. Uh, He's he's excellent. So uh, it's... uh, uh, I, I can understand why, if you talk about Norris Trophy, it just depends how you interpret all-around defensemen if you're a voter. And you, you see the numbers that McCar is going to put up and the way that he uh, deters opportunities that way by being offensive. And maybe there's, there's some Eric Carlson in that sense. Um, but if if you need a guy, if you're, if you're a coach, you can send out Charlie for... For every situation, boy, you are you are not losing sleep over over that guy, and he's had to, to carry, I'm not gonna carry, but but uh, at least uh, assume more responsibility without Zidane there and trying to incorporate Lozon, who's been his primary five on five partner, into top pairing responsibility, and he's been he's been outstanding. So he's he's. Uh, Hands down, uh, one of the the, the best all around defensemen in the league.
1: Entering this season, it seemed like Jason Stanico was the club's best prospect, and right now he's skating on the third line um, with David Krejci out of the lineup. But is he starting to play at a level that will carve out a position even when the Bruins are fully healthy?
2: Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't I don't know what they will do in that sense because. Okay, and that was the issue earlier this year because he, he started the season as as a right wing just because they were, okay, he's not going to beat out Bergeron, he's not going to beat out Krejci, he's not going to beat out Coyle, and then on their fourth line, they like what Sean Corrales does in terms of energy, in terms of, of checking, in terms of PK, so where does that leave Jack? Well, I, 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 and, and this is the case with Trent Frederick too, He's a natural center, but they don't have room for him. So Frederick's been a left wing, and he's been he's been good. He's been more ready to play out of position than Jack. And Jack got hurt against Pittsburgh probably because he's just he's playing out of position. He's just not strong enough yet, not aware enough yet, and that's not his fault. It's just it's it's going to take time for for at least right wing stuff to to be. Uh, at his comfort level so at center he's been good the last couple of games he's been playing with pace he's shooting he's he's driving the net he's he's played high tempo so yeah I, I i still don't see him being they're they're not gonna sit crazy um for for jack so where does that leave him do they play him back at right wing um do they put him back in the american league to say okay just just play right wing and and try and gain comfort there i don't know uh at at center right now if they're fully healthy there's no there's no spot for him do they ever go to the point where they go with skill on your fourth line as your fourth line center i don't see bruce doing that just yet Um, that that would be more of an organizational discussion as to OK, do we want to go all skill on your fourth line? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't see them being ready to, to make that adjustment just yet. So it's, it, it might be a case where they say, OK, the right wing thing didn't work out. You've, you've been comfortable at center the last couple of games. Do you feel that you can incorporate that kind of comfort at right wing? Maybe that's the case. But uh, at center at full health, no room for Jack at this point.
0: What do you think happens with the goaltending going into next season? They're both UFA's uh, this year. There's obviously all the rumors about Rask this past off season about his future. Do either or both come back next year?
2: Uh, I would say they would bring Tuka back in all likelihood. Uh, he'll he'll be let's see, he's an eighty seven, I think. So he'll be he'll be under the thirty five and over contract, so they can sign him. For multi years and not have to worry about that. Is he interested in that? He says he, he he'd like to come back. He, he would only play for Boston. He's not interested in playing anywhere else. Would he retire? I don't know. It's, does he want to go out like this and and with no fans and and all that? I don't know. Maybe he'd like to get another shot. So if that's the case, I could see I could see them being uh, amenable both sides to extending the, the relationship because it's just not fair. To, and they're high. They're really high on Jeremy Swayman, their, their top prospect. But he's a first-year pro playing a, a limited American League schedule this year. So can you accelerate that and say you're, you're, we'd like you to come in and, and be a, a starter would be a really hard ask. Even a number two. Would be would be challenging just because of, of how limited that that first year pro is going to be this year, so I, I think Tuka will be back. Yaro, at his age, I don't know. Does he want to come back and, and go through this again? I'm not sure about that. Uh, well, could they could they go in a different direction and and is the do they project? Further slippage in his game at that age is just the further you go at, at that age with with goalies, it just becomes less of a sure thing. So they will probably um, go a different route with their number two if they don't feel Swayman or Vladder is ready for that second job. But yeah, I, I could I, I could see Tuka coming back.
1: Before the trade deadline comes and goes, do you think Don Sweeney explores the trade market? And if he does, what do you think he will be in the market for?
2: Yeah, I, I don't think this is a finished product. So short term, the the left side of the defense is still still an issue just because okay, even if you're at full health, can you can you depend on Jeremy Lozon to play playoff shifts against uh, backstrom ovechkin uh couturier or whoever or crosby wh- whoever you you face that's i don't, I don't know uh, i don't know if he's ready for that and if if not can they can they ask Rizek to to go up uh, i think he's he can handle that but the injury thing that's that's always there and the size can he play against tom wilson uh, I don't know that's just it's physically he's not going to win that matchup can he can he deter with with legs and stick and, and thinking yes but it's it's not optimal in that in that way so and Zaboro kind of the same thing he's more of a puck mover and he's not physical by any means so can can he do that uh, I'm not sure about that either so can they go after Ekholm yes that that would be a good fit for them but there would be many, many hands raised for that kind of defenseman. So you'd have to pay the price. There's the expansion thing because you're, you're uh, at this point, you want to protect McAvoy, Grizak, and Carlo. Um, do you want to risk uh, losing assets for Ekholm for from Nashville and then expose him? And maybe Seattle doesn't do that. Maybe, maybe they are not interested in that just because I think he has only one year left on his deal and because of the age. Maybe you want to go younger and cheaper if you're Seattle. So maybe that's not as much of an issue. Um, so short term, I think left side, but uh, the, the Kasha thing because of the injuries hasn't worked out. So that circles them back to their year-long their issue of number two right wing. And then if you look ahead, do, do you want to bridge up to, because Krejci's unrestricted after this year, do you bring him back? for another go-around? I don't know. Uh, he's going to be 35 and over. So do you try and, and, and deal with that? Do you try and, and fix up the, the right side? There There's some, some, some balancing acts there in terms of short-term and long-term need. But can this team go on a run in the playoffs? Absolutely, with the goaltending, with the top line, and with the power play. Are they as good as Tampa and Colorado right now? Probably not. But... Can you can you hang with Washington and and whoever Philly Pittsburgh? Sure, sure you can. So um, yeah, there, there's there's going to be some upgrades for for sure.
1: How many more years do you think Don Sweeney can realistically go for a cup with this group of players?
2: Well, Krejci and Rask are up after this year, so there's that. Maybe maybe both of them walk. So you're looking at turnover there. Bergeron signed through. Um, 2022, so you're looking at, at turnover there uh, and, and then you hand it over to Posner, to McAvoy, and, and there's still going to be a few more effective years of, of Brad Marchand but yeah, that's, that's absolutely um, an issue um, because do, you don't have that, that one-two punch at center anymore after, after Patrice and David so is Charlie Coyle a number two? To say nothing of a number one, he, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure they know at this point. He's he's had issues this year as a number three. So can you expect him to make that jump? Who knows? Can Stagnica make that 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 step? Who knows? Is Frederick a top two center? Uh, probably not. He's he's probably best served as a number three center. And you protect him in, in expansion? There, there's a lot of questions there, but, yeah, it's, it's no question. Uh, time is ticking on, on this group. Uh, we've already seen the Chara and, and Crude uh, transitions, so that, that's absolutely going to continue, uh, and maybe as soon as, as next summer, just because of the Krejci and thing, if you don't bring those guys back. And then it, then it goes on to Patrice, of all people. So, yeah, it's, uh, time is running out for this group.
0: Well, before you go, we got one more for you here, and it's the most difficult question we ask all of our guests. What do you think of the Bruins reverse retro jerseys?
2: Nice. Yep, uh, they they look well. Maybe it's because of the setting out, outside, but look pretty good. Yellow, bright, bold. Uh, yeah, that's and 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 bottom line for not just for these guys, but for everybody. That's that's just another possible revenue source, which which every team needs and which every league needs. So, the more jerseys they sell of that, the more uh, the more they can try and 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 get back to common ground uh, after all this this economic wreckage. So, in that sense, absolutely green light. Uh, I'm sure the Bruins, like every team, want to sell as many of those jerseys as they can. So. A hundred percent full, full speed ahead.
0: Well, the NHL definitely made their money off me off these reverse, reverse jerseys. That's, that's for sure. But uh, <laughs> Fluto, thank you very much for taking time in your day to come talk to us and uh, stay safe out there.
2: Okay, Dan. Okay, Anthony. Pleasure. Yep.
1: Have a good one.
0: Bye-bye. All right, everybody. That was Fluto Shinzawa and uh, the Bruins, you know, they have had the Flyers number this year. And I remember when we did our preseason episode with uh, with Jim and Nick and we made our predictions, you and I were pretty hesitant to put a lot of eggs in the, the Bruins basket this year. But that they, as far as I'm concerned, they've exceeded a lot of expectations, especially given all the injuries that they have.
1: Yeah, I, I picked them to miss the playoffs. And I just truly thought that the, the guys that they lost on the back end was going to hurt them way more. But I think it's very telling as to how good Charlie McAvoy and to a lesser extent, Brandon Carlo are Uh, because you've seen Jeremy Lozon, although he had some trouble at the beginning. But he's found his niche now on that top pairing with Charlie McAvoy and a guy like Matt Greslick, who played the majority of his career on that third pairing behind guys like Krug and Chara since graduating to the NHL. I think is a lot better than people gave him credit for. And when healthy, him and Carlo have made a very strong second pair. And like Fluto says, a lot of their game is based around capitalizing offensive opportunities and limiting chances against. And I mean, I think they're a team that I had them in the same group as Pittsburgh as like, I'm just going to count them in until they're not anymore. But based on me thinking that the Flyers, the Islanders, and the Capitals were virtually locks to get into the playoffs, I had to pick between Crosby and Malkin or Bergeron, Marshawn, Pasternak. And I chose Crosby and Malkin, but I mean, hey, they're proving us wrong yet again this year. Uh,
0: Pasternak has... 18 points in 12 games. I believe half of those points have come against the Flyers uh, this year as well. So, fun little fact there. We found our biggest Flyers killer, David Pasternak. But on to positive Flyers news. They handled the uh, Buffalo Sabres this weekend. Shut them out back-to-back games. They did great. And if you've been on Flyers Twitter, people are planning their Stanley Cup parade routes. Uh, Thanks to this victory. uh, Victories. Uh, Which is great. And listen, all I've said all season long is I wanted that one game where they look like a composed, legitimate hockey team, and I finally got that. And which is great, you know. I'm glad that we got it. But and and they can increase their, you know, they're 12-1-1 against teams not named the Bruins, which is great, you know. You but you beat the Buffalo Sabers, you know. I'm not. I'm glad they did it, and I hope this momentum carry. I hope this is the start of something special moving forward. You know, they can gather themselves in a team like this. They're finally back to full strength. Uh, connecting is off the COVID list, so uh, he'll be back uh, probably tomorrow, if not Thursday. You know, you're getting together. You're looking good. You're well-composed. You beat a bad team. You know, I hope this carries forward, but at the end of the day... You beat the sabers you know i'm approaching this with a level of cautious optimism as i've changed my name to on twitter um just because that's how i feel you know it's a good win big wins much needed wins but it's a sabers if they did this against the bruins however if they blanked the bruins back to back on the weekend this would be a much different story i'd be much happier but right now it's just two wins they took care of it time and move on and let's see how they do against the penguins this week
1: yeah, like, look, like it's very good signs because at the end of the day, they should have looked this dominant against the Sabers, and I think there's something to be said about not playing down to your competition. But I also do think that the Sabers are some special kind of awful this year. Like, um, they just look like a morally defeated team. But at the same time, you you can't take anything away from the Flyers. Like, they beat up on a bad team as they should. And I think that now you're starting to see everything in terms of, let's say, the process and the underlying stats and the way certain players are playing trending all in a positive direction. Now, obviously, it is the Sabres and it's nothing to, you know, be astronomically high about. But at the same time, you got to take it for what it's worth, and that is that the Flyers dominated a team that they should have. I think that the Flyers should be dominating teams like this. I think they should be handily beating teams like the New York Rangers when close to fully healthy like they did on Wednesday night, I believe it was, or Tuesday. So, I mean, obviously it's not against the greatest opponents, and I'm kind of looking for that game that they do this to a good opponent. Like I remember last season, they had a couple of very strong outings against like the Washington Capitals. And that's like really when I got behind the train of like, okay, this team is legit. I haven't seen it yet from this group against, let's say a Bruins or a Capitals, because the game that they beat the Capitals, that was just, basically Vanacek handing it to the Flyers on a silver platter. But at the same time, hey, they're playing very well. It's encouraging to see. And I hope it carries over this week against better opponents like the Penguins and the Boston Bruins.
0: Yeah, they play, I believe they play the Penguins three times in Pittsburgh this week. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Next week, they play the Capitals three times on Sunday, Thursday, Saturday. And they play the uh, Sabres next Tuesday. So, a whole lot of games here against two opponents, essentially. Uh, Six of the next seven games. So... They'll get a chance, and, uh, it, you know, I think a lot of the excuses I heard for the Flyers underperforming performing this year was, well, they're not at full strength. Well, they played the Sabres Saturday without Jack Eichel, and they played him on Sunday with Jack Eichel, though he was clearly not at 100% uh, for whatever injury is uh, hampering him, so it's the Sabres. I'm going to take it with a grain of salt, but again, much-needed wins. If they walked away from the Sabres with anything more than two shutouts, or with anything less than two shutouts, I should say, I would have been a little more concerned, but uh, again, they, they got it done. They handled it, still looked good, and uh, it's what I wanted to see. We should have done this segment on the show about 10 p.m. Listen, I boy, I was worked up from some of these stupid takes I'm seeing on Flyers Twitter, but uh, yeah, all things considered, it's a good win, I'm happy, even though people
1: like to say I'm not.
0: I am. It's a big win, I just want to see it against a little better competition, that's all.
1: And I think, and we talked about, about it a bit before we started recording, but it's just because my feelings about this team hasn't changed since the beginning because going into the team into the season, I predicted them to finish second in the, in the, uh, in the division and have a fairly easy time locking down that playoff spot because I do think they are one of the better teams in this division when they were winning games, but looking like dog crap, I didn't swing too much negative because again, I wasn't expecting them to be like the Stanley cup contender. Yeah. But I thought they were good enough to beat teams even when not at their best. And now that they're playing wins and beating the crap out of the Buffalo Sabres, I'm also not going to swing too much on the positive side because this is what they should be doing. So, look, they're going to lose some games. They're going to win some games. They're going to win a lot more than they lose, I think. And I think that they're going to have a fairly easy time cruising to first, second or maybe unlikely third in the division. But I think it's more that my opinion on this team, unless they go out and make a big move, like Matthias Eckholm that you wrote about earlier today in a very good article, or let's say an Adam Larson, but that's more of a pipe dream from my brain. But like, in, unless they make a move like that before the trade deadline in April... I'm not going to change my opinion on this team until I see them in the playoffs. And, and I keep going back to last year when they came back from the pause and then they had the round Robin and they just looked like rock stars. And I predicted them to win the Stanley cup. I really did. I made it very well known on Twitter. And then against the Canadians and the Islanders, it was something that for whatever the reason, I can't get it out of my brain. So I've basically conditioned myself now to say no matter how good they look in the regular season, until I see them do that in the playoffs consistently, I can't start, as you would say, planning the parade or putting them in the same classes of, let's say, the Avalanche, the Vegases, maybe to a lesser extent, the Boston Bruins or the St. Louis Blues or those types of teams. So look, it's great that they're playing well. I'm not overly shocked that they're doing this to teams like the Rangers and the and the Buffalo Sabres, but I'm not going to swing too much to the positive or negative side until I see them again in the playoffs.
0: That's I think that's where I'm coming from as well with a lot of this. You know, these celebrations that they beat the Sabres, who are the worst team in the division and probably the worst team in the fucking league at this point. You know, like, that's great. They won a battle, but they didn't win the war. You know, the war is the entire season. And that's what infuriates me when I see the, they're 12-1-1 against teams not named the Bruins. Yeah, but guess who they're going to play in the playoffs? The Boston Bruins, more than likely. Or the Islanders. You know, like, those are two teams that have your numbers, bud. I don't care if you're going to smack around the Buffalo Sabres. You know, if you can go to the playoffs and you can't handle the Bruins, then oh, this is all the regular season champions. You can win the goddamn president's trophy for all I care. You know, all that is for naught if you can't, replicate the success in the playoffs and that's what i'm thinking of as well and i think a lot of that gets lost in translation in twitter people see that i'm not you know planning a parade after they beat the sabers like oh well Daniel, you're just being negative like i'm really not i just i don't care about a regular season performance against the sabers you know because it doesn't matter at the end of the day you know their regular season record doesn't matter they're 11 four and three right now how is that even possible you know, but if they can't continue that success in the postseason, and they get beat in the first round by the Bruins or the Islanders or the Capitals, then what do you do at the end of the day? Do we sit here and celebrate because they have the best regular season record? You know, who cares? So that I think that's where I'm coming from as well. Is I want to see this happen in the playoffs before I you know get back on any kind of of serious Flyers hype train here.
1: And I think one thing that gets misconstrued and I'll only speak for myself, but I think you feel a lot of these sentiments as well is that when I was being, let's say overly negative before the season started, people took it as well. You think the team is, is crap. Oh yeah. It's one extreme or the other, but it's more because I knew this team was good. I knew this team had skill, but I also knew that they didn't have enough to legitimately contend for a cop and I didn't want to see yet another season wasted. And look, again, you're seeing a lot of players prove that to be true. And look, I said it last week. I'll say it again. I was completely off base on what I thought JVR was going to do this year. Like, I don't know what the fuck got into him, (laughs) but he's playing like a $7 million player. And that's hard to justify, as I've said numerous times as a winger, but he's doing that. I love what Joel Farabee has done and how he's elevated his game. But to be fair, you and I were always high on Joel Farabee as soon as the playoffs started. You know, Claude Giroux maybe not offensively, but I think he's been strong on all fast uh, on all play at all places of the ice. Jesus Christ! <laughs> so I think the high end of their offensive lineup has proved me wrong, but at the same time you're seeing guys, let's say, like Nolan Patrick and Oscar Lindblom really having a hard time getting going here. Poor Nolan Patrick, man.
0: That kid looks so lost out there on that ice. I mean, he's playing at like an ECHL level out there. I mean, he's with with Giroux and Hayes, and you know, kind of by association, his plays elevated a little bit. But he was the only player, I believe, other than Justin Brown, who didn't even have a shot on goal yesterday. He, you know, of all the players that scored and all that was going on, zero points over the week, and I believe he's on an eleven game point drought right now. Like, God, he's just been invisible in like a sad kind of way. Yeah,
1: and the the problem is, is that. I know, like, I saw, actually, Garrett tweeted out yesterday, but he's just like, is Scott Lawton a top-six player? What? And, yeah, and, you know, I, I think after last season, at least for me, like, we saw in the playoffs that he's not that. I still maintain that when you get into a playoffs against the best teams, he's a third-line winger or a 4C. I I just, I don't buy into him being a legitimate 3C when you're wanting to win a Stanley Cup. And right now he is that with Limblom and Voracek. And I just, I think what has happened with Patrick here as yet again opened up that 3C to be upgraded. Because again, I like Scott Lawton, but for the positions I just mentioned, I don't think you can win a cup with him as your 3C. I, I really don't. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think that last year we saw that. You know, he they, they went out and got Derek Grant to be the 3C because they didn't want Lawton to play there because they th- they thought that when he's that high in the lineup, he's better suited on the wing. And then he went up with Hayes and Konechny. And then eventually in the playoffs, they had no choice but to put Lawton back there because Grant was so bad and it really didn't move the needle all that much. So again, maybe I'm wrong, but until I see that happen in the playoffs, I'm not going to change my opinion on it. And now you move Patrick to the wing, And I think there is something to be said about how he has so much raw talent and natural skill and he's not a liability out there. But if he's now just going to be a middle six winger with that description, he just kind of falls in with the bunch as just another guy skating around out there, not making any grave mistakes, but not doing anything to really push the needle forward or move the needle rather. And I put out a tweet yesterday that now that Konechny's back, who else do you take out but Nolan Patrick? And that's not a place I wanted to be at this early on into the season.
0: I, 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 I've i been comparing him a lot to Michael Roffle lately, because that's just what he feels like. He feels like a fourth-line guy that is not going to make a lot of mistakes. He's perfectly fine you know, controlling himself. But as far as being an impact in the lineup, it's just about impossible. You know, and and I, I saw that quite a bit yesterday. I think you and uh, Mikey D may have said something as well um, about who do you take out when TK comes back. And theoretically, it should be Patrick, I feel like Connor Bunneman is going to get the axe on here, if I had to guess, um, which is unjustified because he's been fucking great for a, a fourth liner this year. But, uh, yeah, Patrick could be the guy i take out as well. And I don't know. I don't know what to do with the kid at this point. You, you've given him a lot. And listen— we're, what, 19 games into the year or something like that. 19 games under his skin in two calendar years or wherever we're at. Like, I, I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. I really am. But I want to see him help his own case at this point. You know, and, and Oscar Lindblom is kind of in the same boat as well. Um, obviously, he's missed the past few weeks with with COVID, um, which is a great job at the NHL on that one. Make sure your fucking cancer patient gets COVID, you idiots. But, um... Yeah, but listen, on, on Patrick's note here, I, I, I don't know what you do with the guy, you know, and and we talked about this quite a bit in the off season where Patrick represents somebody where you're kind of stuck. You want to give him every benefit of the doubt and give him the chance to succeed and keep growing and give him the opportunity to play and let him play alongside Drew and Hayes. But at the same time, what are we doing here? You know, you got to be in the win-now mode. And the win-now mode is not sit on your hands for another two years hoping that Nolan Patrick comes around and can be a legitimate, you know, second-line center in the future. You know, at some point, he's going to have to fall by the wayside here. And you're going to have to move on with or without him, with him on, you know, your fourth line, or without him, you know, you'd trade his rights in the offseason and, and move on from the guy. You know, something's going to happen. It's going to come to a head this summer, one way or the other here, uh, with Patrick. I-, I just don't I don't know what you do with the guy at this point. Do you just keep him, sign him for two, three years for $1 million and let him play on the fourth line and let Raffle walk in the summer? Like, is that what you want of this guy? Is that how this story is supposed to go? I don't think so, but I just don't. Know what you do with him unless he starts proving to us otherwise.
1: Well, it's because they're in kind of they've backed themselves into a corner here. Because if you do healthy scratch him now, which I mean, from a pure on ice perspective and role perspective, he like I don't think you could justify anyone else. Because I think Bunneman is quietly one of the better defensive forwards for the Flyers, and I really like. That line with Raffle and Albate Kubel. And to be quite honest, I think I prefer Bonneman there than Scott Lawton uh, in all seriousness. Yeah. And I just think that he's a better fit on that line. So if you take out Bonneman, then you're going to put Nolan Patrick as the 4C, which I mean, it's more skill, but again, for the role, I don't think that. So, but then if you scratch him, his value plummets. And then to your point, what do you do with him in the summer? But then at the same time, you're like, well, this like the importance and of winning should be paramount above everything else. Like they should focus on winning games. Nobody really wants to see another development year. Like you want to see the team, the the best team available. And it's the, the same goes for Carter Hart. Like right now, Brian Elliott is the better goalie. And in all seriousness, he's one of the better goalies in the NHL right now. If you go by a lot of advanced goaltending stats. So, like, you're not gonna sit Carter, you're not gonna sit Brian Elliott, or just so you have Carter Hart develop. And now I don't think that there's any question about who's gonna be the starter by the time the playoffs come around, but just trying to make a point. So, again, the, and it seems like a reoccurring theme with me here. whether it be talking about Nolan Patrick or the defense or what have you, is like, what are you doing here for this season? Are you trying to win a Stanley Cup or are you trying to develop the young players? Because you can't do both simultaneously and the Nolan Patrick situation is a very good example of that. Yeah,
0: and and they're they're stuck in that limbo and it's going to be interesting to see how they handle this. You know, it, it just... This goes back to my years of being scarred by you know, the flyers here, but there's quite a big options in front of them this year, and I wrote about it today with the Ekholm piece, you know, about acquiring Ekholm for Gossespierre, you shut all that cab, you partner uh, Sanheim with Voracek and let him take it, you lose get all this money, you know, in one, two easy moves that help out in the future, but, you know it, it, do the Flyers do that? Is it not just easier to re-sign Patrick to, you know, uh, uh, nothing happened in contract and bring him back, let him hang and the same goes for Sanheim in that respect I guess as well, you know, do they go out and make the moves and that carries us into the Ekholm contract. First of all, <laughs> I don't know if you can shed any light on this or not, but uh, I feel like depending on who you follow on Twitter, they've pretty much been linked to the entire Nashville Predators roster uh, at, at some point or the other here in the in the recent few days. I mean, I've heard everything from, you know, Philip Forsberg, Arvidsson, Gronlund, you know, Eric Hall, <laughs> you know, just pretty much anybody on the roster um, that, that can be moved. Even uh, uh, Dante Fabro, the other one that I've heard yesterday, like... I think a Matthias Eckholm deal is the guy you need to go after, first and foremost. But I think that alone is going to be hard enough to swing, given the current financial landscape we find ourselves in. The fact that they're going to add somebody like Gronlund, I mean, he is a UFA at the end of the year, so not losing much financially at that point, his contract wouldn't be too hard anyway. But I don't know, it just seems like, it seems like a growing difficulty the more players you want to heap onto this deal just to get everything to work out at the end of the day. Do you think they go after just Eckholm or do you think there's more to this?
1: I think that Eckholm's the most likely scenario, just you know, when like I said last week, when Pierre Lebrun writes something about that, you have to take it seriously. I mean, I'm sure that they could stand it at a forward, but I mean, like you said, like it would take so many moving parts for several reasons. Obviously the major one and the primary one is the cap implications. Like, I think the Flyers are projected to have, like, $900,000 by the deadline in salary cap space. So, again, would have to be money in, money out. I would have to brush up on what's going on with um, the Predators in terms of cap space. But I I would assume that they don't have a plethora of it. But then the other thing is, is that the Flyers have a lot of bodies. Like, they just have, like, I know we're talking about adding an Ekholm, but... They have, what, eight defensemen on their roster right now? Something or no, I guess I guess they're back down to seven because they lost Mark Friedman on the waiver wire. But, like, you would have to assume a defenseman is going back the other way, and I would bet that it would be Shane Goss' spear. And then if you want to add, let's say, a forward, you would have to assume that a forward's going back the other way because we're already kind of reaching an impasse on which forward is going to sit now that everyone's back healthy. But if you just add a forward to what you're going to sit Bunneman and Nolan Patrick, like I just I'm not really sure how it's going to work out beyond just adding an Ekholm for the cap reasons and the body reasons. And even the Ekholm thing, like I know maybe this is a secondary concern, but I adding another left shot defenseman, I'm not sure how it would play out like I would assume maybe you just try them on the right side with Provorov and hope for the best. I think that's ideally where you put them. I also think that Phil Myers hasn't been as good as we would have hoped this year. So I also don't know about, you know, if you put Myers with Provorov, I don't think it would work for that reason. And Sanheim and Provorov, I think you would ideally keep them apart because they are the two biggest minute eaters on the team. So, look, I mean... I still have a feeling that they're going to get outbid for Matthias Ekholm because I think he is that d- type of defenseman that a lot of teams like to add at the deadline. And I don't know if the Flyers are going to be willing to outbid someone else because, like I said, like it seems like Shane Spear is going to have to be a part of the deal to make the money work. And while I think he's played very well this season, given the circumstance and relative to what he's been over the last 24 months or so... I'm not sure if this the Predators are, A, going to want to absorb that type of money, you know, $4.5 million for the next two seasons, and, B, if they're going to be hard, that hard-pressed to find a better deal than that and not having to take back Shane beer. So, look, I, I think it's a possibility with Eckholm. Not too sure if anything would materialize by adding a forward just because of the numbers game. But at the same time, I'm not overly optimistic on it just because I don't think it's gonna be too hard for them to find a better package than what the Flyers would be willing to offer. And look, Fluto brought it up before. That's the exact type of defenseman that the Boston Bruins would be in the market for. And maybe that they would be willing to package a younger type of defenseman like a Jakob Zaboral or a Jeremy Lozon who have looked fairly decent this season beside Carlo and McAvoy and they and that entices the predators to get some youth on still entry level contracts as opposed to adding a 27, 28 year old Shane Gossespir with term left.
0: Speaking of all that I saw a tweet yesterday that uh I think you responded to as well. Would you protect James Van
1: Reemsdyke at the expansion draft? <sighs> I mean, it's hard. It's really hard because I still think no matter how good he's playing this year, that money would be best served to invest in a defenseman and maybe some, you know, like a legitimate for finally a legitimate third line center. But at the same time, if he continues this pace right through the playoffs, how can you justify losing him for nothing? Now, this doesn't mean that I think that they shouldn't explore trading him. I still think that one way or another, they should explore trading him, but losing him for nothing after the season he's had may be tough to swing or justify. Because the thing is, is that especially if, let's say, Limblom doesn't find his offensive game by the end of the year or Travis Konechny continues to spin his tires in terms of his development and his place in the lineup, I, I like just removing that guy off your roster for and getting nothing in return. I don't know. Like, I, I just don't think that one way or another he should be here next year. And actually, I won't even say that. I don't think that him and Voracek should be here next year. I think one of them has to be gone just because of the cap, and I don't think you can continue to keep paying three different wingers seven or more million dollars per year. And obviously Giroux isn't going to be the one going anywhere. But I don't think Voracek is able to be moved just because of the term left. Van Riemsdyk only has two years left, and look at the season he's playing together. So I think that at bare minimum you could trade and get something actually decent for him. So while I don't think he should be here next season, just because of the salary cap implications, it's becoming increasingly harder to justify leaving him exposed and potentially losing him for nothing. If that makes sense.
0: I suggested in the piece, you know, that I, I still hinted at the getting rid of JVR, but yeah, you know, I, I did attach Sanaheim to Voracek, just given that he's you know, more money and, makes the headline look a little better when you say thirteen million instead of eleven million, but I I, I don't know what to make of JVR this year. He's having the best season of his career at thirty one years old, and I don't even think it's particularly close at this point. His best season looked like thirty six goals and uh, fifty four points with Toronto in seventeen eighteen, which is why I got such a big fucking contract to begin with. But he's got ten goals and twenty five points in eighteen games. Holy it's Holy
1: shit. It's crazy.
0: He's just... He's playing better. You know, the biggest complaint I had about last year is when he wasn't scoring, the guy was just fucking invisible. But, I mean, he's out there and he's doing things and he's making it up... That goal he had yesterday against the Sabres was insane! He's 10 feet away from the net and redirects it and it still finds its way in. You know, like... I... There's a part of me that believes it's all fool's gold because history, you know, tells otherwise. And 18 game sample size out of a 759 game career is hard to fucking yoke on this one. But goddamn, <laughs> you know? even I'm at a point now where it's harder to to talk shit on this guy. You know, I don't know what you do with him. I, I the, at the end of the day, it should be the cap that makes the difference here, and not the individual player. But if it comes down to it at this point, and, and I've talked pretty highly of Jig Voracek this year, I think he's cooled off tremendously compared to what he was, you know, throughout most of last year and early this year, you know, maybe the weight's starting to swing back in JBR's favor at this point. I have no idea. I, I, I would genuinely just sit down and think about this, and obviously we want to see how the rest of the season goes here. If he falls off a cliff here in the next, you know, 30 games, then we got a different story on our hands, but yeah, hey. I don't know. it's definitely gonna be an interesting thing. This is not as cut and dry a decision as it was a couple months ago.
1: yeah, it's just it's tough because the thing is is that even if he was playing at like seventy five percent of this play, you could make the case of you would want to keep him just because of that he's scoring goals. But like you said, he's doing everything all over the ice. And the Flyers, I know that they've maybe not had a harder time this year doing it, but, like, you don't want to just take out the best goal scorer on the team. Like, he's doing everything right. So, I just, I don't know how they get out from a bigger contract now without moving JVR. Like, I still don't, even Voracek last year, when he was playing the best hockey out of any Flyers forward, in my opinion, I still don't know how any team would have been enticed to take on that cap hit with that term, as opposed to a JVR that beyond this season, there's only two years left at seven million dollars, which is a lot more appetizing for a team, especially an expansion team like Seattle. Like they took guys like David Perron and James Neal or I'm talking about Vegas now, but those were the types of players that expansion teams look for if at bare minimum to flip closer to the deadline. But I just I still don't know how you keep JVR and Voracek next season when Sanheim's up for a new deal and um I believe is Faraby up for a new deal at this? No, he's not. Next but summer, like twenty two next next summer or Carter Hart he's up for a new deal. Is he not?
0: Yes, this summer Carter Hart. Yeah.
1: So you have Carter Hart to resign. You have. Travis Sanheim to resign. You assumingly want to add a big defenseman or two to the back end. You still have Ghost on your on your books. I just if they could find a way to get out from Jake Voracek, then I would say keep JVR because even if he does regress next season, you're only you're less than two years away from that contract expiring. That and that's the that's the fact of it. But if you cannot get out from Voracek, which I really don't see how they do, he may just have to be. And again, that doesn't mean that you're going to expose him to Seattle, because I think at this point you could at least get something for him. But if Voracek's deal is just impossible to get out from under, I don't know how you keep JVR. And you did bring up the fool's gold part, and I do think, this season as a whole features a lot of fool's gold because you are just playing the same teams over and over and over again. And for the flyers, you know, they beat up on the Sabres or they beat up on the Boston or the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins early in the season. So it's easy to kind of like pad your stats, you know, look at what Matthews and David and all those guys are doing in the North division, Mark Shifley as well. So there's also that part of it, but at the same time, not going to take it away from JVR. It's, it's very tough here And I think that I brought this up before, but it's just it's not even JVR's contract as a whole. It's more the fact that he's there with Giroux and Voracek as three wingers making a combined $24 million. And his contract is the most likely to probably get out from under because of the reduced cap hit and because of the term left. Or I guess maybe you could say Girouds is because of his pedigree and his expires closer. But you get what I mean. So I don't know. Would you agree that it has to be him or Voracek oh, one way absolutely. or another?
0: You can't walk away from this expansion draft losing anybody else besides JVR or Jake Voracek. That's it. You cannot walk away losing Aubrey Kubel and call it a day. You know, the non-consequential way out. You need to get dirty here, and you need to figure out a way to clear this goddamn cap space, especially if you want to resign Sean Couturier, which his fan base, for some reason, wants to. So... It, that's the only way. You, you you just you need to get rid of this goddamn salary cap. And Shane Gossesbeer for Eckholm will go up first of all, that would be a long way to getting through that one. Simply because Eckholm expires in twenty two or Gossesbeer expires in twenty three. You know, that's four point five million dollars off the book that summer. The same summer they need to resign Katuri. That helps a lot individually, you know. So we we'll, uh we'll we'll have to wait and see there, so it has to be one of those two, though. Like I said, this this can't be a non consequential walking away with Obi Kubel loss and, and take their hands. So I don't know. I feel like at this point I would. I don't know. I want to. I want to wait and see. I don't want to. I I wrote at the piece of the week about JVR still needs to be the one, but god damn it, he's just not slowing down.
1: Yeah, and and that's the thing is that if you compare it to even like the Ghost contract it's not that egregious, especially given the way that he's playing. And like, I, I do think ghost needs to go as well. Like I know he's playing well and he I hate saying that. Yeah. And, and that's another thing is that, you know, I remember when we had Dave Pagnota on right before free agency opened and we were talking about JVR ghost and he was saying that ghost much lesser than JVR, but these contracts are impossible to move given the fact of how they've played. But now that they're playing well, we don't want to get rid of them. So it's there. You also have to look at it from that standpoint, like the best case scenario happened to justify trading these guys. But now they're playing well. So now you're just like, oh, maybe they're worth it. I I think that Ghost is not worth four and a half million dollars and hasn't been as great as some people think. I just think that relative to what he's been over the last two years, he's been awesome. But JVR is legitimately playing like an all-star right now. Like, it's insane. It's just quite literally insane. But do you bank on this carrying over for the next two years? Or do you take the opportunity to get out from that cap hit and get something back in value? Because that's one thing I'll say is that I think at this point you can't leave him exposed and lose him for nothing. I think even if you do want to get rid of him, you would have to explore a trade and get something back for him.
0: Who the hell is trading for JVR?
1: Well, I mean, like, look, like, I, like, I would have to look at some of the um, the Double teams and Detroit caps. or something tr- like that? But, I mean, like, look, like, if you have a team that you think can contend, like... I just don't think uh, a I trade don't... works out
0: where they can get out of that cap without eating some of it. Especially if they put him on a contender versus dumping him in Detroit. If you dump him in Detroit and throw a first-round pick, I'm sure they'll take him immediately. But if you send him to a, a Boston Bruins, you're probably going to need to eat some of that cap for it to work out. And in that case, you're better off just either keeping him on the roster or giving him to Seattle.
1: But you don't think that a team would bite on this, uh, like, at full dollars? Because – and this is another thing apart but that is a big part of it, is that he only has two years left beyond this. So – if you and I, and like maybe not Buffalo now, because I don't think that they'll be in the market to add anyone, but I use them as the example in the summer, a, a market that they have to overpay players to go there in the first place, case in point, Jeff Skinner. <laughs> so maybe a market like that that has a tough time attracting free agents that is just like, okay, we'll add, like, let's say a New Jersey Devils. Like, would it adding a JVR to put beside Jack Hughes not entice them? Probably.
0: It's just. But that's then a, it, that's a big ask, though. In this current financial landscape, is is seven million dollars, I and mean, you know, and that's true. Without going through each and every individual team to figure out who's you know uh, needs a new contract and all this shit, you know, they'd take a couple hours to figure all this shit out. But it just at face value, it's like, hey, you're gonna trade for a seven million dollar forward who had one good year in fifteen years. just hard to uh to bite obviously there is recency bias there it'll be good and they'll probably get another seven million dollar contract and this one is up for some fucking idiots but i don't know it it just it it feels like one of those deals that for most teams i don't think they could straight up stomach a seven million dollar contract right now
1: well okay I'll, i'll i'll give you a just a hypothetical situation let's say you're chuck fletcher and obviously this would never happen but Seattle says, we'll take Voracek or JVR off your hands. Who do you who do you want them to take?
0: Mm. <sighs> right now, it would probably be Voracek. But nah. god damn, I hate JVR. Can <laughs> 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 they take both? Now that would require some extra big brain moves. I should amend that piece today.
1: Yeah, it's, look, I I think, uh, and it also depends on how this season plays out, right? Yes, yes.
0: there's still plenty of hockey to go this year.
1: Because for all we know, let's say they swing a trade for Matthias Ekholm and they get to the, the semifinals because there's no conference finals this year. And they look damn near good and they lose in seven games to the Tampa Bay Lightning or whatever. And then you could say, well, we could come back with virtually the same group this year with some tinkering here and there and Hart will be better and these guys will be better and blah, blah, blah. But then, I mean, even at that, then you have to leave Eckholm exposed and you probably lose Matthias Eckholm. So yeah. there, there's also that, which I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to because I, I don't think that you should be worried about expansion drafts and having that impeding potential moves. Right. But if you lose Matthias Ekholm after trading for him, then you're right back at square one, ne- like next year. So it's it's tough. Like I really like. There's a part of me that thinks, and I've said this numerous times, that aside from tinkering here and there, I think a lot of the teams that you see right now are going to be the teams that you see in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, for the most part. I think, and that's what worries me the Flyers in the East is, you know, they're probably, two of the four teams that make it are probably going to be the Islanders and Bruins, two teams that they've struggled mightily against the past little while here. And, and that's why they need to go out and get neck home and and make these additions. Because going out there and finding, you know, Nate Thompson 2.0, I just don't think is going to cut it this year. You know, they need that boost. They need that help. They need as much help as they can get. And if you win a cup this year, who gives a shit what happens in the expansion draft, right? If you make this postseason worth it with your play, then who cares? You know, I think that's where they need to be at as an organization. That's where I'm at as a fan. And uh, that's hopefully the route they take. But, you know, man, it's just – does Chuck Fletcher do – something that extreme when he used the expansion draft as a big reason to not make any moves this past summer? You know, is he going to reverse his two now that they're
1: playing it in a
0: playoff spot?
1: I mean, you think that, like, they have to eventually, especially with the team, how they're playing this year. You would think so. And, you know, you could make an argument that what's going to be a better, like, road to win a Stanley cup when you're playing against the same seven teams over and over again, and you won't have to play against another team until hypothetically the third, the third round, at which point if you get to the final four, like anything can happen. So, but I mean, then it comes back to the same reason I was pissed off before the season started, because I said, this team is good and this may be the perfect storm for them to do something special here. But you added nothing and you arguably regressed with Matt Niskanen gone. Because I still think that if you added, let's say, a Chris Tanev to this blue line and you added a legitimate 3C, that uh, I'm trying to think now who who got moved in the summer. But just anybody, let's just say it was a JG Pajo like the Islanders did last year. I think you could make a case that this team is Stanley Cup contender. But I just... Now you just have a team that's a very good team, but it has yet to prove anything substantial in the postseason, at which point you're just wasting years of like, when the hell is JVR ever going to perform like this again? Like, And this is not to say (laughs) that he's going to regress back to last season, but I I don't think he'll score at this pace next season. It's just like, maybe, but... (laughs) Uh, I don't know it's just frustrating because it's like we've said all season long they're just like in this in between of like they theoretically have the pieces to do something really special here but Chuck Fletcher didn't add to it so now they're just kind of spinning their tires and you you just don't know what to make of them
0: yeah I don't know what they are and and a lot of it's going to come down to what they do at the trade deadline. And their hands are so friggin' tied here with the salary cap. I mean, they do have quite a bit of deadline space. I believe it's around five million or whatnot. That they've been accruing by sending Sam Rand down to the taxi squad every goddamn day. But um other than that, like th- there's just not a lot of wiggle room here, you know, for these teams to you know, that, I think that's why Eckholm is going to be such a hot commodity, not just with the Flyers, but across the Liga, as Fluto alluded to, you know, because he's on a relatively cheap deal. It's like 3.7 or something like that. You know, that's not too bad for a top defenseman, you know, in, in this market. So I don't know. I just hope the price doesn't scare him off. I'm sure there'll be more than just the Flyers in on Eckholm, You know, they don't get outbid or they just go into this year and find a Nate Thompson or, you know, equivalent player and say, oh, they were fine, we like our team. I'm waiting for that goddamn press conference any day now. But, uh, I don't know. I just, I'm cautiously optimistic is the theme of the day here. I would like to believe that they're good now on the ice and everything is sorted and they're going to make moves in the offseason and then the trade deadline rather and go into the playoffs with both feet you know, and get ready and go. But then there's that part of me that has been a fan of this team for 24 years and fucking knows better than to have any faith at all in the
1: Philadelphia Flyers.
0: That's just kind of where I stand right now.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, at least we're going to get a good litmus test this week with the Penguins and the Bruins.
0: Three games in Pittsburgh for the first time in the organization's history on the road for three straight games in one place. And, uh, yeah, that'll be a big one. Penguins are, uh, not quite as good as we all thought they'd be. They're struggling. They're hanging around, which is is the biggest issue uh, for the Flyers. They're right below them in the standings. Twenty three points. Flyers have twenty five. Penguins have two games in hand. So if the Flyers can go in and handle Pittsburgh this week. They're going to put a bit of a cushion between themselves and and the you know uh, outside of the playoff spot looking there with Penguins in number five. So hopefully they keep the win up and they keep this momentum they built in Buffalo going here. Cause it could go a long way to helping them, uh, you know, get back in a solid playoff spot here after their COVID break.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's going to like I said, it's going to be a very good litmus test. Now they're fully, fully healthy. Now that Travis Connect is off the COVID list. Um, but uh, I mean, I think that if we come away from this How many games are they playing between the two teams? Six between Penguins and the Capitals in the next two weeks. If if they come away with four wins or more, I think that it's a pretty good sign that they may be the best team in the division, which you could make the cases now. But again, like you said, I would like to see them play the way they did against Buffalo against a non-Buffalo team. Yeah,
0: (laughs) exactly. Yep. Yeah, I think it's about it for us, everybody. It's went a little longer than I thought it would, but it's fine. I'll be back probably Wednesday with Shane. Uh, Mike and Manning get bumped till next week, and uh, we have somebody coming on Thursday, right?
1: Yeah, a guy from Dallas, uh, Matthew DeFranks. Um, it seems like it's set in stone, but uh, yeah, we'll be here Thursday.
0: All right, at Dan the Flyer fan at Brotherly Puck at Brotherly underscore. Pod. Uh, check it out plenty of articles coming up uh, this week uh next few weeks actually been busy writing again now that we're getting up on the trade deadline um so check all that out the ekholm piece up today i'm arguing with people on twitter now they're fucking idiots about it so uh come follow me and
1: join in on this
0: fun conversation come yell at me actually like everybody else does uh anthony where can people uh, find you on twitter
1: uh you can find me at ademarco25 all
0: right everybody until next time goodbye and good night Yeah!